0: okay all right let's turn in our bibles to hebrews chapter 10 hebrews chapter 10 we're um we're coming to the close of our study through hebrews and it's been a long study and uh and i was just thinking uh if i was going to sum it up what the last few months have been like it's been i think really good for our church good for me Uh, i wrote this in my journal um we've studied so much concerning the sacrificial work of jesus the fact that he shed his own blood so that we might have forgiveness of sin and peace with god this is the most wonderful story and message in history and the work of jesus is the only work that truly has changed history in fact all of history is ordered around who jesus is and what he's done james wobble and i were talking Last night about great humans in history. Now, when I say "great," I mean great in the sense that history was written around the men and movements that they're associated with. Not necessarily great in a moral way, but great in scope and compact, uh, scope and impact. We talked about Julius Caesar and Napoleon. We could certainly talk about Adolf Hitler, Charles Darwin or Copernicus. We could talk about women like Mother Teresa, Queen Elizabeth, Cleopatra, Joan of Arc. And then there are those who gave us the arts during the the Enlightenment. Men like da Vinci and Rembrandt or the modernistic movement in philosophy that ties ancient philosophers like Aristotle, Socrates, Plato to modernists like Kant and Hume. Whether we're talking military or government or science or the arts, there are men and women who have left their impression on history. But the work of jesus and the life and ministry of jesus is the only one that has ever truly and completely and thoroughly changed history no other human has ever made the impact that jesus made politics and law the world over are impacted by the life and teaching of jesus governments are established around the morals and principles of Jesus' teaching. Compassion for the poor, hospitals throughout the third world, institutions of higher learning, all have, have their roots and beginnings in movements of Christianity. Care for the elderly within the context of a society is definitively a Christian teaching. Philosophers and historians and scientists alike have been deeply impacted by faith in Jesus. Feeding programs and orphan care were the early work of Christians who followed the teaching and example of Jesus. Even the great Roman Empire became so impacted by the life and work of Jesus and his followers that by the 3rd and 4th century, Christianity was more widespread, it could be argued, than any other religion within the Roman Empire. And those other religions... While Christianity was new and modern, those other religions had existed for generations. They were ancient, but they were, but they were being swept up in a new storm. Billions know of him, know the name Jesus. Tens of millions worship him as Lord. And yet Jesus would call us and draw us into a personal relationship where the man who changed all of history, would have you and I know him and be known by him and be loved by him and commune with him and fellowship with him. He would connect us to our Heavenly Father and bind us to himself by the Holy Spirit. Confidently entering into conversation with the Lord is one of the greatest gifts and experiences. The most important thing that any of us will ever decide and act on is what we'll do with Jesus Because he's not first and foremost the author and driver of political movements or judicial systems. No, he's not primarily the inspiration for the great artists of the Renaissance and Enlightenment. He's not motivation simply to care for your neighbor, feed the poor, volunteer at the local hospital or after school program. But rather Jesus draws us in offering us fellowship in the very presence of the throne room of a holy God apart from whom we could never approach. Fellowship with the one who came to us from, for, to save us for, from our sin. That's what Hebrews is about, and that's what we're right in the middle of studying. So let's read Hebrews chapter 10. Tonight, we're just looking at seven verses, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith Buck Bernie, our youth go stay, uh, they're not this year, but the last few years they've stayed um, at a lake house that's owned by Buck Burney. And we've gone there for probably 10 years. We've on there for a vacation. It's, it's a really cool spot on a lake, um, kind of out in, the, in a rural community. And, I, and all I knew was that he was a, um, a retired fighter pilot. And I was in his house, this was probably eight or 10 years ago, and I was, uh, I was snooping around I was in one of the closets just snooping around because it was like not his main residence it was his rental house and i just was snooping around in his rental house and uh seeing what i could find you know what i could turn up and i found this uh picture of uh of an f-16 fighter jet a u.s fighter jet and uh and some sort of a mig a mig-23 maybe a, a soviet era this was a cold war era soviet mig and it had Cuban uh, markings on it. And, uh, and so it's an F-16 with an American flag and then this Cuban MiG and they're flying in formation. So I went over to Buck and I said, hey, I was snooping around in your closet over there and I saw this picture, what's the scoop on it? And he said, that is the only picture that exists from the Cold War era where uh, a, a Soviet block MiG is in formation, is seen flying with, uh, an American fighter, and what had happened was, this Cuban uh, fighter pilot had left Cuba, and then just scooted right on up the seaboard there and landed, I think, somewhere in South Florida, maybe Miami, and he had defected. And so then uh, they took the, I guess, our, our military took the plane apart and and uh, see if there's any reverse engineering it needed to be done. And then they called, you know, called Castro up, I guess. Hey, you want to come get your plane? and So he sends like his most faithful fighter pilot guy that i guess is like his guy you know would fly the equivalent of air force one and he comes up they bring him up on a helicopter all the security measures are put in place and he lands and this legendary cuban pilot gets off of this helicopter and walks across the tarmac and my friend buck said that he said we sat down and me and my 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 other the other pilot my wingman and this cuban uh this well-known Cuban fighter pilot, we smoked an actual Cuban cigar. I was like, that is pretty dope. That's pretty cool, you know? And, and uh, sat right there on the, on the tarmac, and he said, we spent about an hour, and we just asked him, what's it like? And he said it was the most riveting conversation. And it was funny, because then uh, they were gonna escort him back into Cuban airspace, and, um, and Buck was supposed to fly wingman, so he would take the picture, But uh, something happened and he ended up getting to fly. So it's a picture of him with this Cuban MiG. And uh, so pretty cool, pretty neat. And uh, just thinking uh, there are people that I think it would be so interesting and riveting to have conversation with. But when it comes to the relationship that we have with the Lord he's inviting us into the deepest level of conversation, the deepest level of relationship. It's not just a religious activity. One of the things we're sitting here and you're, we're listening to Greg give that up, or I mean, uh, Joseph give that update about Greg and Kilby. When, when I talk to them, Kilby's my daughter. And when we, when we're talking, one of the things that always stands out to me is the personal nature that, that, with which they do ministry and but that's that's a mark of true Christianity it's a personal relationship religion it's not just a religion that's based on activity it's not just a religion that's based on doctrinal truth although those things matter we're called to worship God we're called into corporate worship we're called to uh, hold fast to faithful doctrine but at the end of the day we're brought into relationship with our creator we're brought into a reconciled relationship because our sin had removed us from fellowship with our Creator. But because of what Jesus has done, we can be brought near. You might remember when we were in chapter 4 a few weeks back and and there, it was, it was uh, talked about that we're able to approach the throne of grace with confidence to come into the presence of God. In the last few weeks, we've looked so much at the work that Jesus has done by his sacrifice, the shedding of his blood, taking his blood into the most holy place, bringing his blood in on our behalf um, so that we might go before the Father. And so in verse 19, he says, therefore, he starts off with the word therefore. And I wanted to give you, um, I, wanted, I wanted to connect here doctrine with like real Christian living. Doctrine is right biblical thinking about about uh things that the bible says Uh, so when we think of doctrine there's a critical nature to the the teaching of scripture that we don't just accept the bible as a collective work of really good writings or inspired writings but we accept the word of god as god's exact and very words so that to disobey the word of god is to disobey god to obey the word of god is to obey god to worship the God of the Bible is to worship Him as He's revealed Himself through Scripture. So there's, there's that reality that God has revealed Himself to us through the work of Jesus, but then that we transition from what we know to be true to the way that we live out our lives. We know what the Bible says about God. We know what Jesus has done in our minds. We can, a lot of us, articulate it. But then from there, we move into the relational piece. I think a lot of times we can, we can mix this up and say, well, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. It's just about a relationship. But we don't want to presume on the relationship because for God to have us in a relationship with himself, it, it costs the blood and the life of Jesus. And so that's not a relationship that we would just presume on. So he says, therefore, based on... What we've studied to this point, I jotted down some, some things that would, would link, the, would be linked with the word therefore. Therefore, because uh, Jesus' sacrifice was final, uh, because Jesus' sacrifice was only needed and only necessary one time, because Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient, because Jesus' sacrifice was vicarious, And because Jesus' sacrifice was efficacious. Because all of these things describe the sacrifice of Jesus. The one that I didn't put um, in the notes was the, the idea that it's vicarious, which just means it was in our place. Jesus died in my place. He died in your place. And so because of the sacrifice of Jesus and all these realities about it, we can come into the presence of the Father. We can come into the throne room of grace. But I want to think about that last word, efficacious. Uh, Efficacy is a reference to to the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood cleanses us from unrighteousness. Think of, we we might think of uh, something like bleach, or we have, Little uses this, This cleaning agent called, uh, I think it's called 30 Second Cleaner. Some of y'all might have used that. And it's it's like a wonder. uh, I don't know what the science is, but I know that it'll get stuff clean that uh, nothing else will. Or you think about, um, uh, we recently, we bought a sauna. um, And it cost a couple hundred bucks, and it's made out of nylon, and I bought it off Amazon. So don't get excited and think that we've moved on up like the Jeffersons. Uh, It's literally... uh, I, the chair that came with it, I can't it's not made for a person of my stature. And uh so usually I get these hot spots and my legs go numb when I sit in that little chair, but it's a little bitty closet and I'll get in that it's an infrared sauna. Have you ever done the sauna? Have you ever done this? Oh my goodness. You just sweat and sweat and it just purges and it's like, oh, I can feel the toxins coming. Out. I don't know if they really are, but that's what they say. And then I'll go out of that sauna. I'll go down there to the creek and I'll lay in the cold, cold creek that runs down by my house. When I get done with that, I feel this. It, I don't know if you've ever had this, this experience where you feel clean on the outside and somehow like detoxed from the inside, you know, and when we think about what the blood of Jesus does for us, the efficacy of the blood of jesus is that from the inside out you're cleansed from unrighteousness the sin the guilt the shame the fear the anxiousness the anxiety whatever it is that that maybe has controlled your joy or kept you down like you're cleansed from that you're cleansed from it and so the blood of jesus is efficacious and then he says therefore since we have confidence so The therefore, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, but then we can have confidence in that sacrifice. Our confidence is, in fact, in the sacrificial work of Jesus. Our confidence is in the ministry of Jesus, the work of Jesus. Think about when we think about what Jesus did during his time on earth, um, the preaching ministry of Jesus. You might remember the rabbis said, we've never heard anyone preach with this authority. He preaches, the, the crowd said, he preaches with authority that the religious leaders don't have. There was an authority in his preaching ministry, the work of Jesus. He touched the unclean, he healed the leper of, their, of his leprosy. And so, the ministry and the work of Jesus, our confidence is in the death of Jesus in our place. That's that vicarious nature. And our confidence is in the resurrection of Jesus. But ultimately, where we sit now, our confidence is in Jesus' reign. He's on the throne and he reigns. He is our God. King Jesus is our God and he rules and reigns over all that he created and all that he holds in creation. And then he says in verse 12, to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. We may enter into the very presence of God because Jesus has gone ahead of us. We learned a few weeks ago that he's our forerunner. This is someone who goes in so that others may follow in with him. God would otherwise be unapproachable. I was trying to think of how to illustrate this because we've you know, we, we, we keep coming back to this picture. I, I don't know if you live with regrets, but I, I, have, um, I have a couple things in my life that I'd like to have a do-over. I'll tell you one of them. So, Little and I are, uh, are good, close, personal friends with Will and Kendra Graham. Will Graham is, I think, the oldest son of Franklin Graham. She's a uh, grandson of Billy Graham. And when we had been married a couple years, a little and I had been married a couple years, and we were living in Virginia, working at a camp called the Masters Inn. And we went to church with the Grams, with Will and Kendra. And Will was graduating, I don't know, he was graduating from college or seminary, I think college, and Billy Graham was gonna speak at the commencement at Liberty University that year. But it was in the football stadium, they were calling for like 85 degree weather, it was gonna be uh, super hot, Ten thousand people there, whatever, and I remember Will. He said, "Hey, we were out. We were out shooting. We were on the range shooting." And he said, "Hey, I want to invite you. Uh, My granddad is speaking at commencement. No, this is. Did I mention this is Billy Graham? (laughs) Like, I'm the biggest fanboy of Billy Graham now, you know. But I was too dumb then, and so uh, he says, uh, he says, my granddad will be speaking. We'd like to invite you to come and sit." with our family on the front row at commencement and then go out to eat with us afterwards. And I said, man, that's very kind of you, but I just don't like big crowds and I didn't go. (laughs) I had the chance to go to, I'm sure some Baptist buffet like Golden Corral with (laughs) Billy Graham with Billy Graham I, I got to have lunch with Billy Graham and I said no thanks like you can take the boy out of the mountains but you can't take the hillbilly backwards redneck out of the boy and I I I wish I wish I wish I had a do-over I remember a couple years later saying hey Will's any chance I can come hang out with your granddad you know and and but there's there's like and, that, and, and he never expressed that. He just invited me and then and, and would have gone and set it up with his parents. But I think, I feel like a lot of us, when it comes to what Jesus has done to make a way for us to come into his presence, whether it's you don't have confidence in your own ability, you live with shame and guilt, you don't, but like, I feel like too often we, we stay at a distance and we allow our shame or we allow our laziness or we allow our distractions or our preoccupations with the things of this life t- to say, you know what? I don't want to get too carried away in my Christianity. I don't, want to just, I don't want to just jump right into the middle of this thing where it takes all of me to be with Jesus. You know, and it's like, man, Jesus has made a way for us to come into relationship with him. But don't make any mistake about it. You cannot embrace relationship with Jesus in mediocrity that, that that doesn't exist you cannot be in a relationship with Jesus I cannot be in a relationship with Jesus because he's already labeled the value on the relationship he like he's already he's already made the way when he went to Calvary's cross he made the way when he endured temptation he made the way when he was mocked and beaten and bruised he made the way to bring us into relationship and I can't like there's no way to take that like take some and leave some but we've created this wrong thinking in the Christian church in America, especially where it's like, yeah, associate or identify as a Christian. It's all or nothing, church. It's, I'm surrendered to Jesus. I'm committed to Jesus. I've come through the blood of Jesus. My speech is affected by who Jesus is, my thought processes are affected by who Jesus is. What motivates me in life, like, like living in the presence of Jesus becomes the lens through which you see everything else in the world. But if you try to stay on the outside and look at Jesus and Christianity and religion in this box and look into it, then you're trying to put Jesus into a place that he won't fit. He's, our God is a consuming fire. We'll read later. And so I think one of the things that, that has really impacted me this week in verse 19 is, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. We've been cleansed from the inside, washed clean, brought into fellowship with God. We should have confidence when we come before the throne of God. I don't come before the throne of God in arrogance, but I also don't come before the throne of God in some trumped up guilt and shame. I've been set free from sin to have fellowship with God. You are, what is your value? Your value is what it cost Jesus to provide salvation for you. And some of you need to get that. You live with guilt, you live with doubt, you live with fear. You look like, who am I? Look, I'll tell you who you are. You are blood-bought, washed in the blood of the Lamb, sanctified and purchased by the redeeming work of Jesus so that you might come into the presence of God literally every single day of your life. Easier than you walk into the McDonald's and Murphy because we ain't got one in Andrews no more, right? Like. Like, the, like just, if we could just, we're going to spend the next 10 weeks trying to convince teenagers what it is to have your identity rooted in Christ. What it is, is I live and dwell in the most holy place. Verse 20, he says uh, that we're able to do this by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through the flesh. Jesus, the, here, here's a thought, listen to this contrast. Jesus opened the curtain into the most holy place to bring us in with him. The priest in the old days would bring, the, pe- w- the priest in the old days uh, would go into the holy place on behalf of those people who could not and were not allowed to go in. But Jesus went in so that we could go in, and he brings us. The old priest went in because the people could not go in, and he went in as their representative. But Jesus went in so that pe- his people can go into the very presence of God. Verse 21, he says, we have a high priest over the house of God. Again, Jesus went into the presence of God with the offering of his own blood, not the blood of an animal. And then I want to I close with the last, three, the last four verses, 22 through 25. He gives us three exhortations. A lot of us are like, uh, you know, I think a lot of times uh, the, the human tendency is to say, just tell me what to do. Just just tell me, what do I need to do? Um, give me something to do. We're, we're, we're doers. You know, we're busybodies a lot of times. We just want to be working and doing. And sometimes it's hard to, to, I think a lot of times you look at your own life or you look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees or you look at the Old Testament um, and, and the people in Israel. We tend to think we need to be busy for God. Um, and, but, but first and foremost, we're, we're not in relationship with Christ because of what we do or have done. We're first in relationship with Christ because of what he's done. And we're second in relationship bec- with the second component of that relationship is because of what he's done, what he then declares to be true of us. So what I do doesn't enhance the relationship. It enriches it for my personal experience, but it doesn't make me more of a Christian so when it comes to, like, okay, what do I need to do? Do I need to stop, you know, this behavior? Do I need? And we, we have the tendency to want to come up with the do's and don'ts of Christianity. So I love it when Scripture gives us exhortations. An exhortation is like a call to action. So here's a call to action. There's three things. Three things, verse 22 through 25. Three exhortations for us. The first one is, he says, let us draw near. The second one is, let us hold fast. And the third one is, let us consider, specifically consider how to stir one another up. So let's, let's, let's take these three exhortations, and this is how we'll kind of land this thing. Let's look at what, what, what we have responsibility to do. He says, draw near in verse 22. He says, let us draw near with a true heart. Many of us have, have struggled with, with what it looks like to draw near to the Lord, when we come to Jesus trusting in who he is and what he has done, we can know that he will accept us and receive us. But we do so with a pure and true heart before the Lord. And then we receive assurance and confidence. It's so powerful because if you live with confidence, it's obvious. Conf- like we, was, Spencer and I were talking the other day. He was talking about uh, his little boy has started hitting the baseball really good. You know? It's like, man, once, once you start doing something good, you're able to do it with more confidence. A confident person is a more effective person. A confident Christian will be an effective Christian. You want to be effective and be on mission with the gospel, for the gospel, making an impact for Jesus? Live in the confidence that he supplies. How do we live in that confidence? Let us draw near. How do we draw near? Submission to God's word. A constant reminder of the gospel and understanding who you are in Christ. Draw near and you'll be reminded of who you are. He says, Hearts will be sprinkled clean. Jesus frees us from guilt and shame when we surrender to Him. It's this really powerful picture of being set free from guilt and shame. I'll tell you this, and I think everybody here could agree with this a clear conscience, that's a gift. Because ain't nobody in this building. In your own ability, you can't live a second of your life with a clear conscience, cause you know your sin, and I know my sin. Know it, David said in Psalm 51. When I know my sin; it's in front of me, right here. Like you, know, everywhere I look, what I see is my sin. Like a lot of us, we struggle with this. Do you? Some of y'all, man. Do you struggle with with like the thing you did, the thing you thought, the place you went, the relationship you knew you shouldn't be in? And we struggle and it cripples us because it breaks down our confidence. It breaks it down. But he says when we draw near to God, we're set free from that. And we can live with a free conscience, man. If you... You start to live in the confidence of knowing that Jesus has set you free from the dominion of sin, bondage to decay, you will be unstoppable in what God's called you to do and be. And I will too. We'll be a church on mission. Of a, 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 a clear conscience before the Lord is a gift that only God can provide. You ever try to scrub your own conscience? Like, we, we, we've got, like, little, like, well, I did this thing, it was so bad, now I need to. There's whole religions, religions built around this. If I've got I've to come up with good religious things I can do to outweigh the bad things that I'm. Jesus like, you'll never outweigh the weight of your sin. I already took it, so you don't have to. Live with a free conscience. Worship me. Obey me. Love me. How do you do that? Draw near to me. Draw near to me. And the second exhortation is to hold fast to the confession. What is our confession? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So our confession is is that Jesus is Lord. And he says, of our hope without wavering. We have hope in this life. We can remain steadfast and unwavering in our own pursuit of the Lord because we know we serve a Savior who is faithful. And then the third and final exhortation is in verse 24. He says, consider how to stir one another up. And that word consider means to like, you know, ponder, think about it, be mindful. Think about how, how do my words, actions, deeds, how, what kind of friend am I? How do I stir and motivate other believers to pursue Christ and to walk in, walk in and walk out the life that God's called them to? He says, stir one another up. We need to help each other along the way. We need to encourage and build each other up. We need to push each other by our words and actions. We need to be full of grace and patience, but we need to push and stir one another up. You need to keep your grace bucket full and be ready to dump it out on others. Like you see in football games when they bring that Gatorade bucket and dump, give the coach a Gatorade bath. Y'all seen that? You dump that out on that coach. Like we need to be all about dumping grace onto each other. And if you will be someone who shows grace and extends grace, and if we stir each other up by being kind and loving, and then when I, need, when I need to say to a brother or sister, hey, you need to knock it off. There's a time for that in the Christian community. When we're stirring and sharpening and encouraging one another, he says we got to do that. And to do that, we're motivating one another to love and good works. And watch this. In verse 25, how do we do it? How do we maintain it? By gathering together. Y'all remember in 2020 when you couldn't go to church and there was it was uh, everything was shut down. I think we went like six weeks here without being able to come to church together. That was a hard time, and people there were there was like uptick in mental illness and depression, and there was so much happening where people were just struggling. But it's just interesting to me. I talk to pastors all the time, and praise the Lord, Red Oaks not like this. But I talk to pastors all the time who say we've never recovered from COVID. People started watching church on tv or on facebook and they just they haven't come back there is no substitution for what we're experiencing here tonight as a body of believers meeting in corporate worship singing songs of praise together hearing the word of god together the spirit of god is in our midst and he's binding us together and you can't get that when you're looking at your phone watching facebook live i'm sorry you can't are are there situations where people are reduced to only being able to do that sure and god's gracious and that's what happened during covid we made a way we figured it out but but in as much as we are physically able god commands us to come and worship together to meet together what about the taking of the lord's supper we do it once a month here you can't you can't do that outside of fellowship with the church and have the same effect we're called to worship and to, and to meet together. And by the way, I know that some people struggle to come to church because you got hurt by the church. But I'm gonna tell you right now, Jesus didn't hurt you. So look past whoever hurt you and maybe look past yourself and see the blood of Jesus that he's made a way for you to have fellowship with God. And if you've got fellowship with God, you can have fellowship with broken, messed up, sometimes hypocritical Christians. Because <laughs> we all got our junk. You got yours too. Any time a person who's not a Christian will say to me, "Man, I would," I, I'm not interested in church. It's full of hypocrites. I'm like, so's your job, so's your school, so's your family. Humans are hypocrites. It's a it's a problem that we have. None of us live perfect consistency, but Jesus does. When we come together, we learn how to give grace. We learn how to stir each other up. We learn how to, you, you, you feed off the love that you're given and the encouragement. It's people that I love to see when I come to church and some people that I don't really care to see and they don't care to see me. Like, But God has bound us together by the blood of Jesus. And all of a sudden, you've got relationships and friendships with people that outside of this, you probably never hang out with. It's the beauty of the way the body of Christ works. And it's interesting because in verse 20, in that last verse, he says, encouraging one another, he says, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, that even in the first century, people were showing a disregard for attending worship services and gatherings. It's, it's, it's also interesting because the compound form of this verb implies that people were seeking to abandon the congregation, choosing to stay away from church. It's strong verbiage and it's, and it's associated with this idea of coming together. In worship. We'll see in the text next week that there are serious consequences and repercussions when we forsake and abandon the local church. Looking forward to the day, he says in verse 25 at the end, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Looking for the day when Jesus returns. That should help us keep everything in context, to show love to each other, to unite us together uh, in the mission of advancing the gospel of Jesus. For us, the local church is called Red Oak Church. And the central command for Red Oak Church is to, to grow and sharpen and stir one another up and then to be on mission to build the kingdom of Jesus. That's why Joseph just went and spent the time that he did in Uganda with one of our missionary teams. So in conclusion, we're all on mission together, working to advance the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus gathers with us when we meet together on Sunday or in discipleship groups on Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Sporting events, music concerts, festivals, political events, and speeches. They always pull big crowds together around a common cause. But we are held together as Christians to participate in the worship of Jesus, the praise of Jesus, and the work of Jesus, and we need one another to do it. Church, Jesus is going to return, and it's going to be a wonderful time of celebration. So until that day draws completely near... Let's work together and worship together for God's glory. Lord, I pray that you would take the truth and the reality of your gospel, that you would take the the beauty of your grace, and you would help us to see who we are in Christ, through Christ, by Christ, for Christ, why we exist. Lord, help us to understand what it is to be bought by the blood of jesus set free from the darkness and dominion of sin lord thank you that you have brought us into the most holy place so that with confidence not arrogance with humility but with confidence we can walk into the presence of our heavenly father we were once so far away but your word tells us we've been brought near and that by the blood of jesus so we thank you lord jesus for shedding your blood dying on the cross for doing that in our place for your vicarious sacrifice and for the effectiveness the efficacy the potency the power the cleansing work of your cross and the shedding of your blood and then lord thank you for the victory that you took over sin and death and hell in the grave and that because of that we can worship together extend grace to each other and know that one day you're going to rule and reign and that's the future day that we look forward to and And we pray that you would come quickly. We would ask you to return and come quickly and take your church and put all things right. We sing to you now because you're worthy of our praise in Jesus' name.